looking at these instructions, at these words, as it says in the Hebrew text, these ten words, principles for life, that, that lead us and ought to be more precious than gold, as we just sang. And in fact, in this last commandment, we see the one, maybe above all else, that digs down deep. Uh, deeper than something that appears, as most of the others, as something easily kept on the surface. Sure, I haven't killed anybody. Uh, sure, I haven't uh, committed adultery physically. All of those things. This one gets at the heart in a profound way, even as the others did more subtly. This one comes directly. And I pray as we look at it that it would challenge your heart as it has challenged mine. We'll read uh, a summary version of all the commandments, uh, skipping along as we have in the New American Standard Version from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through our focus today, verse 17. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse 17, our focus today. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is God's word. Father, we come to your word and we pray, as Jesus did, that it would set us apart. It would sanctify us, for your word is truth. Meet us here, we pray, with your spirit and your word, working for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I don't know if, if you have had the experience that uh, my wife and I regularly do where you, you go in the kitchen, you know, and, and you look in the cupboard and it's not there. And then, you know, you look in the refrigerator and it's not there. And then maybe you look in the other cupboard and it's not there. And then you go in the pantry and it's not there. And then you go back to the refrigerator and it's not there. And you just think... I don't even know what I want. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's just not here. It's nothing, none of this stuff sounds good, or it's not it. And we just have this regular, uh, periodic, not all the time thing where, you know, we, we don't even know what we want, but we want it. And sometimes it's, it's food, and, you know, so maybe it's an apple cobbler. You might recall I like those. Uh, since I made a big deal about it several times. But 
it could be in those moments where, you know, really there's something else, you know, that, that it's not really even about food. You know, maybe there's like a disconnect we have with what we should be doing or how we're spending our time. Maybe it's just really late at night and, you know, if you're up late, it's, science says you eat more and those kind of things. You know, maybe it's something deeper and more profound, some other deficit maybe, something missing in my life that has me searching the kitchen and the cupboards and the refrigerator and downstairs and upstairs for it. Maybe you experienced that there. Maybe you experienced that in other ways. But I think the scriptures tell us it's safe to say that all of those frustrated desires are linked. (laughs) All the lookings for it are related to something deeper and more profound about who we are as human beings. And it's why hours and hours and hours of playing Fortnite or whatever your video game is doesn't satisfy. It's why scrolling your news feed or your social media feeds for hours and hours and hours and hitting the refresh just never seems like enough. It's why you can vent your fury on other people and it's still not satisfying. It's why you can miss more and more family time and work more and more hours and still feel like you haven't gotten more and more ahead. All of those things. And the the worst thing is, you know, we keep doing them and we have this idea in our head that I know this isn't going to do it. This isn't going to satisfy me. And I, I know that's the case. And I still keep doing it. Keep refreshing, keep playing. Just one more game, you know, just five more minutes. Just tonight I'll work a little longer. It's just this one thing I'll miss. You know, all of those things are really at heart uh, evidence and the fact that they, they don't quite satisfy They kind of almost do, but don't quite scratch the ish. They're they're not it, ultimately, right? These things all gather together in our hearts and our lives to testify to the truth that the Bible says, that you were made for desire. You were made for desire. And in fact, God created you to want. He made you to long for question is what? And in a fallen world, what happens is we forget. Some of us don't even know. Maybe some of you are here today going, why? Yeah, what is that? What is that thing that I long for that just never satisfies? Even when my team wins, much less when they lose, what's going on with me? That this is the reality, right? That God made you to want. He made you, created you. To do things that truly matter. To use your abilities and your skills. God created you to want. To to want to belong to something meaningful. To experience deep and satisfying relationships. God has made you for these very things. Those two facets are the root of your desires and the key to understanding our situation in a fallen world and why we go and we look for it and we never find it 
anywhere. So let's unpack that. That's what we're going to do today. As we look at this command not to covet, I want to start with what I, what I call the human dilemma. The human dilemma is, first of all, that we, we have a life <laughs> that we're living that is filled with tension. We live a life filled with tension because we're made for doing and depending. Doing and depending, or you might put it in more biblical big words, for dominion and dependence. That's how God made us. We see this from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And again, with these commandments, we have to kind of jump around in the scriptures a little bit to unpack them and truly understand where they're coming from and what they mean. But we, we were made, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, we have regularly hit these verses, so you might be tired of them, but I keep needing to come back to them to remind me who I am, to remind me of how God made me, how God made us. Chapter 1, Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made human beings for dominion, for doing, for ruling. God also made them for dependence, for belonging. This scripture continues. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that particularly as God not only creates Adam, but he creates this wonderful environment. Verse 5 of Genesis 2. No shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plants of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he put the, placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, God put us in a world that was perfect, and he put desirable trees in it, including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but all these other trees that were good for food, pleasing to the eyes, things to want. That's the language of longing. So we were made to take care of all that. And he also added that command. In the midst of it all, Genesis 15, 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Dominion, doing, ruling, 
Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. That's why I made them. In other words, you know, I made them for you to have. They are pleasing to your sight because I made them for you. You were made for the trees. The trees were made for you. That you are to enjoy them. But, he says, verse 17 of Genesis 2, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. That aspect is that of depending. You're to cultivate, take the ground, uh, work it, exercise dominion and rule over all the creatures, everything I've made, God said, but you also need to depend upon me, trust me, that what I'm telling you is what is right. Don't eat that one tree. It doesn't have to make sense to you. You were made to just trust me, God says. You're made to do and to depend for dominion and belonging. And the thing is, right, and then he made the woman from the man, and now you have mutual dependence going on. You have a sense of belonging where a man will leave his father and mother and cleave or join to be united to his wife. You have a, a, a tribe going on now. You have your family of origin. Now you have your own family. Those are the things you're supposed to belong to. You were made for such those two things, though, brothers and sisters, this is why life is filled with tension, not just because of marriage. This idea of what you were made for, this idea of doing and depending, because the thing is, have you ever noticed that the better you get at doing, the, the prouder you get? You ever notice that? The, the more capable you are, the more you tend to separate from others. And you begin to maybe get arrogant on it. You, you, you demonstrate skill. You do meaningful things. You make a difference. You ever notice that? That, that we tend to value really good doing. Right? That's why you get upset with you know, top-round draft picks that don't play up to their performance, right? They're supposed to be doing. It's why we worship other athletes and put them up on a play. They're really good at doing. And we even, we even worship their doing so much that we listen to them on other things. It's like what makes any celebrity an expert on who I should vote for or how policy should work. It just doesn't make sense, right? But we're so valuing of the doing that we elevate people it could be musicians, it could be athletes, it could be politicians, it could be business leaders and innovators, you know, Steve Jobs. We, we put him up because he was able to do and make and innovate, and we even do it with preachers. We have celebrity preachers. So that's one aspect, right? There's that. Then there's this aspect of, at the same time, depending, of, of belonging that's at odds with that. that, that we, if we understand what belonging and depending is all about, then we realize, wait a minute, this is, this is a, doing tends to be this vertical thing that we're, you know, performing in the world that tends to elevate us. Belonging and depending and being a part of something bigger tends to what? Be a vertical thing that you, that, it tends to be this thing that lowers you. You tend to go lower as you give yourself up to some bigger purpose. You become vulnerable. It's about humility. That's, 
That's part of the, of the thing about marriage that makes it so hard, right? You're supposed to be doing and all that kind of stuff, which tends to elevate you, but then to be a part of and live with another human being, then you have to go down. You have to be lower. And you could be the best businessman on the planet, right? And the tendency is then that you aren't very good husband. It's really hard. Right? Those kind of things go together. It's this tension that is a part of who we are. And the reality is that that we're made for doing and depending, and we're already bent and broken. We come out of the womb bent and broken. Genesis 3 speaks of that, right? We bow down to the serpent and listen to the lies. God made us upright. Ecclesiastes 7.29 goes, but man has gone in search of many schemes. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, part of the meaning there is we've all fallen short of who God wanted us to be. We, we haven't measured up to his standard. We have crossed the line and transgressed where he said we shouldn't go. And we have twisted things and done what we should not have done or failed to do what we should have done. And so the, the reality is, is we live in this tension of, of the doing and depending, you know, ultimately to trust God, but even to put ourselves under other people, while at the same time trying to do meaningful things and accomplish change in the world and, and make a difference, the, what happens is the doing or dominion tends toward domination. At the same time, our dependence can tend toward overdependence or slavery. And we, we might find ourselves, typically, you know, we find ourselves on one of those two poles. One of those two. You know, we tend to be a people in certain contexts, it can vary, where we tend to be the doer or we tend to be the depender. Right? We, we tend, it's very hard to have someone who's like super hyper capable and does all kinds of things who's at the same time a people pleaser. Right? You tend to be a people pleaser and so your performance suffers. Or you tend to be a high performer and your relationships suffer. The, the, the reality is you tend to separate yourself as you get good at doing, or you lose yourself as you depend on others. That's the tension, and, and part of being bent and broken is that we have a really hard time walking that. We have a hard time living any one of those well, of, of, of living in the middle. If you just think about how this plays itself out, just even in, in politics. Right? The, the last several, I'm not going to pick on one party in particular, right? the last several presidents, back and forth we've had, people have, in a sense, and even some of the candidates, people have kind of sold themselves out to that person and put all of their hope in that person to where they almost lose themselves and their own identity. And it could be for either side of the political spectrum. Right? The sense of any, you know, that this is, I've got to be a part of this and I'll give myself up and then to be so discouraged when my person loses. Right? There's a sense of, of being manipulated. Politicians 
have a hard time not manipulating us. It goes with the territory. They make promises that sound good and we put our hope in them, right? But you know what else happens? Programmers manipulate us. If you've read any of the research on Instagram that uh, Facebook was aware of and how they knew what they are doing to especially teenage girls and how their algorithm is structured, the code that they put behind there to, to reinforce the little dopamine rushes and you know, those kind of things, and not to mention how the Facebook algorithms kind of put you in an in a echo chamber where you only hear people you agree with and it tends toward the negative because negative gets more engagement and the ad revenue goes up. In other words, what? The, the programmers manipulate you and make you the product for the advertisers because it's free for you, and if it is, that means you're the product. You're being sold. There are good programmers out there too, right? I'm not saying it's all that, but this is the thing that happens. That if we don't understand that we are bent and broken and that we were made for doing and depending, that all of that has to come together, we live in this tension that, that, that then comes this command. Into that human dilemma comes this command. The only one of the ten that... that doesn't sound like a prohibition against some physical thing, right? So this command of the Lord comes to us and it provides direction for desire. The command of the Lord providing direction for desire. And now you're like, okay, are we going to talk about the text? Yes, now we're talking about the text. Exodus 20, verse 17. It says... You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word covet appears twice in this one verse. And interesting, the word neighbor appears three times. It had only appeared before this in the previous command, right? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So now it's neighbor three times and coveting twice. And it's part of the, of the law of God that Jesus put it as loving your neighbor. So what's going on here? Because this command seems to be very internal. You shall not covet. What, what even is coveting? It's, do you, how, when was the last time you used that word outside of church in a sentence? I, you know, sometimes maybe we say, I, I covet your prayers. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a weird word. And in fact, it's even weirder when you look at it because the word underneath covet, the Hebrew word behind this, is, is the word for desire. And I would really prefer that, that that's be the word we use. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. You shall not desire your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant. That's, that's the underlying word. The problem is desire. And desire is not necessarily bad. You look through the scriptures, and you, actually we just saw one of the instances in Genesis chapter 2, where God made the trees that were desirable or pleasing to the sight, good for food. Same word. That word pleasing is, is the word translated covet in Exodus 20:17. Those trees he made to spring up for Adam that he would have food. 
God made a companion for Adam. He made them friends, companions, and gave them things to do to tend the garden, to exercise dominion in relationship with him in that dependence and trust, belonging. Even after the fall, as we sang a little while ago, right, we learned that what the law of the Lord is to be desired. And when that appears in Psalm 19.10, where that song comes from, it's to be desired more than gold. That's the same word that's translated coveting. The problem is not desire. The problem is what you desire. Because you're going to desire. You're going to long for. You're going to want. You were made for that. But what are you wanting? Are you wanting what God wants you to want? Are you wanting in the right amount? Because part of the problem is we can want even good things too much. The problem is this direction. And that's what the law comes for, this command, to give direction for our desire. This can be a bad thing. Desires can be bad. The, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When Eve saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and desirable for making one wise, that's Genesis 3, 6. Woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. That desirable is the word for coveting. To make one wise. She took and ate. Proverbs tell us that the desire for treasure of other wicked men is one mark of the unrighteous. That we tend to value and make precious things that do not profit. Proverbs 12, 12, Isaiah 44, 9. You see the good and the bad of desire is that it moves you. That the problem with coveting or desiring what your neighbor has is that it will move you in a direction. It could move you to just get away from them. It could move you to kill them. That's the point of the command is, in a sense, to warn us away from destruction and death. If you go through the Scriptures numerous times, we see the harm that comes from coveting, from desiring what we ought not to desire. Numerous instances in the Scriptures that appear. You think, uh, Pastor Dave mentioned it last week, Naboth had a vineyard and King Ahab wanted it. Nahab would, Naboth wouldn't sell it and Ahab started whining and sulking. He, he couldn't take his mind off of that thing he couldn't have. And Jezebel said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it for you, honey. And she arranged circumstances so that Naboth got killed. Ahab gets the land. You think about King David up on his rooftop when the kings go out to war and David's at home not doing what he's supposed to. Not doing what he is supposed to. Not remembering that he belongs to God and to the people around him. David sees Bathsheba. And he doesn't just stop right there, but he says, who is this? And he continues to engage his mind and not cut off his thoughts. And so he says, we'll bring her here. 
And where does that all lead? Multiple deaths, including her husband Uriah, including their child. Just about every one of the commandments broken by King David until finally the prophet comes and David repents, desiring his, literally his neighbor's wife. King Ahab desiring his neighbor's vineyard. We could go on. Joseph and his brothers, why did they kill Joseph? Because they desired the same kind of affection that Joseph received from their father and they did not receive it. So they sold him off to slavery and pretended he was dead. Judas, desiring to have the money, betrayed Jesus. Just death and destruction. This command seems at one time like it's not that big a deal, right? Why does it matter what I want? It doesn't impact you. It's just in my heart. And God says, you know what? It never just stays in your heart. What's in you comes out. And it will always come out in relatively negative ways. Destruction, even death. It is the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. Uh, coveting, desiring is very often translated as greed, this inordinate affection or misdirected desires, all of these things working together. And you can't, you can't stop, right? You, you can't stop scrolling. You can't stop uh, f fighting another round uh, in the game. You, you can't stop eating another bowl of ice cream or because you're thirsty. You can't stop drinking and you find it salt water and your lips keep chapping. And not only are you not quenching your thirst, you're sucking all the moisture and life out of your body. You know, it's interesting the world understands that metaphor because there is now, uh, and it's been around for a while, I guess, the idea of a thirst trap. Have you heard of a thirst trap? It's so when you're, you know, surfing the internet or you're on Facebook or something, you see a picture of someone usually uh, provocatively posed, you know, that you would click. It's kind of a form of clickbait where you see this picture and, and, and the world calls it a thirst trap because you're thirsty and you think they're offering something that you want. And you click on it, hoping for more. And it never satisfies it. Just think about clickbait. It's offering you something that you think you desire and you click on it and it's like not satisfying. It's usually something annoying. And clickbait, by the way, is like one of those articles that says uh, the world reacts to the Tom Brady news. What, what, what? Or the controversy at dot, dot, dot. And you click on it and it's like, yeah, Tom got a haircut. Like, That's, that's what's going on here, right? There's things that are going on in us. This, this, the human dilemma meets the command of the Lord. And to spare us from destruction and death, and so what it reveals, brothers and sisters, is this, this deep need. This is our third point. This reveals a, a deep need, first of all, for inner change. 
right? This is a deep need where, where we need to change. Something has to happen inside of us where, where our, our doing and our depending are, are tempered, where we recognize I'm doing the things I don't want to do and the things I do want to do, those I don't do, as Paul puts it essentially in Romans 7, where we realize as James 4 would put it, right, that the fights and quarrels among us come from the desires within our heart of what we want. It's not that we desire, it's what we're desiring. And we're not submitting those desires to the God who made us to desire. To the God who says, you know what, there are some things you desire that I don't want you to have. And sometimes that's as simple as a, as a no in your answer prayer. Maybe you desire something really good, right? You, you, you want a spouse. You, you want children. You, you want any number of things. And, and you're praying for it, and it seems good. And God is saying, maybe saying no, maybe saying not yet. And so the test, the test of, of where your heart is is to say, am I okay with that? Am I going to submit my desire to the God who made me to desire? You know, these things pop up. And, and you, you see it in various ways. When we, when we first got married, we, we had a, a, a house. We had a little yard in the front. Um, this might even have been when I was single. I can't remember. But I kept having this problem uh, with weeds in the front yard, right? But they were weird-looking weeds. They had, you know, kind of a thicker stem to them. But they would pop up, you know, over there, over here. I didn't have a very, you know, my yard was probably like as big as the platform here. Um, but they would pop up over there. They would pop up over there. They weren't just everywhere. They were more individual. And I would pull them up, and others would pop up. And I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And so finally, you know, the whole the, the yard, the grass was pretty bad anyway. So I decided to kind of rip it all up, rototill it, start it over. And in doing that, I found out that they weren't weeds. They were actually saplings. They were little baby trees from a wicked, evil crabapple tree. Do you have crabapple trees? Man, I will, if Lord willing, I will never have another crabapple tree anywhere near my property ever again. It was all the way back, somewhere in the backyard area, and its root had come all the way up like a vine. It was about yay big, and it just snaked all through. And everywhere I had a weed was a place, a weed, where one of those roots was. And I, I ripped up those roots and everything, but really the problem wasn't going to go away until I got all the way back to the stump and got rid of the stump, right? What, what's going on as the stuff we see in our lives as a root? And the deep, profound root of it is that we were made to desire. We were made for longing. We were made for doing. But in our bent and brokenness, we desire the wrong things. We desire the right things too much and not at the right time. And so God would say, look, you need to remember now at the same time that you're not only made for doing, but you're made for depending on me. 
And it's interesting because as you think about that, that's the second part of our third point here, that we need to interchange. We also need outside help. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Actually, it brings together some, some mysteries in my mind anyway. It brings them together because you know, we're made for doing and we're made for depending. We're made for achieving and we're also made for humbling and serving. That when, when you bring those together, you recognize that what I need to love God better, what I need to satisfy my longings is to balance the doing and the depending and I can't do it. I can try and I fail. And the answer is not to try harder. The answer is to say, well, maybe there's something broken in my depending. And you know what the answer is? The answer is, yeah, I need to depend on Jesus at the same time as I do. I need to have more than just an outside uh, veneer of religion. I need to have just more than a profession of faith. I need to have a possession of faith, which, by the way, is saying I depend upon you, Jesus, to put those in their proper order to say, I am broken, I am bent. Lord, I can't do it. Would you come and help me? Which is exactly the humbling place where Jesus lives as he came in the flesh from heaven to earth to live among us and to live for us, to die on our behalf, and to rise again victorious, and then what? To send the Holy Spirit into your heart. So you're never going to find it until you first find Jesus. Until you say, I've been looking everywhere, and there you are. Jesus, would you meet me and be, fill me with your Spirit? Transform and change me from the inside out. And what happens is, you're not made perfect. You're changed, and you'll recognize that your doing will look a little different. That, that, that you'll think of good things, and maybe even you'll do good things and not even realize that it's a big deal, and other people are like, wow, thank you, and you're like, I'm just doing things. It's just part of who that new character, that new nature that you have. And there'll be other things where you try and, and you fail. And then what do you do? Are you crushed? Or when you succeed, do you crush others? Or do you pull it back and say, Lord, I'm depending on you? Do you pay attention to your own heart and to your desires and what it is you're wanting as you pursue your goals, your desires, as you pursue the next job, or as you pursue a spouse, as you consider having children or raising your children? as you consider approaching retirement or being retired, you know, where in that, of those desires, are you at the same time acknowledging that you are dependent upon God and also called to do things for God? That's the depth of what's going on here that would point us to our need for Jesus, the one who made himself, uh, the one who knew no sin and was made to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean, as Paul says in Philippians, what, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure that 
pleasure of God, in fact. Isn't that interesting? That you were made for desire. You were made to want. And ultimately, that means you were made to want to do good things, to make an impact, and also to depend on a God who made you and desires for you to do those very things. And as you draw nearer to Him, that's the issue. Where are your desires leading you? And if your desire is leading you further away from God, no matter how good it seems, no matter how right it seems, if it's leading you away from God's people, no matter how good it seems, no matter how right it seems, it's wrong. Same with your depending, right? If it eliminates your doing, if it eliminates your responsibility, if it pulls you in a place where you cease to exist, it's wrong. And I can't give you an answer, right? A lot of times we just want, well, tell me, is this right or wrong? The thing is about coveting, right? It goes into your heart, and I can't tell you. We can't, we can't try it in a court of law. You have to bring it before the Lord and in good conscience say, Lord, I am depending upon you. Lord, I did these things. I thought that is what you wanted. Would you please answer or change my heart? Give me the desire of my heart as you promised in the Psalms or change my heart. See the Psalm 37.4 or 34.7. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's 37.4. That, that's the command here. That's how it comes together. For <laughs> You were made for desire. To long. To want. Remember what it is to do and to depend. And that in fact it is God who made you and His desire is for you to do that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for meeting us and transforming us by Your Spirit. Would You continue to work, Lord? I pray for those who are struggling with their desires. Lord, our world says a lot about desire. It, it sanctifies any number of desires in the world and says it's okay because you feel it. Just do it. But Lord, we know you speak to us and you have told us and revealed to us that we are bent and broken. And we live in this tension because we're made to do and depend would you set us free from what the world says? Would you set us free from the temptations of the evil one? Would you set us free to be the people you have called us to be? Would you meet us, in other words, Jesus, and transform us from the inside out? Would you use your people in this community to help us would you give us, O oh Lord, a sense of belonging and depending on one another rather than just ourselves? Would you, O oh Lord, give us the grace we need to do and depend? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.